I want to jump in to this morning's topic, which is the book of Psalms. And turn to the Psalms. We're going to read a few of them. Um, it's, if you're new to the Bible, if you like open to the very middle, the odds are really high that you're going to hit the Psalms. I just opened to Ecclesiastes. Psalms is a little bit left of that. But if you kind of open to the middle, you will find the book of Psalms. I was going to tell you, you probably no need to take a lot of notes this morning. You can listen to a lot of what I'm saying. I have on the way out, if you want to grab a diagram of the book of Psalms, and a lot of what I'm going to talk about is in brief form on the back. Um, so if you just want to sit and take it in this morning, that's pretty appropriate. I think the Psalms I've read are the most read part of the Old Testament and probably the most well-known part of the Old Testament. Um, but they are often misunderstood, which we're going to get to a little bit later. And over the years, I've talked to a few people, not a lot, but a few, even probably in the last four or five months, talked to somebody who somebody had talked to them who said they didn't like the Psalms. They don't like how negative they can be. They don't like the fact that they're poetry. Here, here. I'm not a big poetry fan. Give me a book of prose. Um, and they just don't like that, the negativity and the randomness. And they don't understand, like, what's, why are they there? What's the point of them? And so that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning. And that's why we're going to spend the summer in the Psalms. In fact, some of you are reading through parts of the Old Testament in community this year. And today is Psalm 118. Tomorrow you're going to be spending five days in Psalm 119, which is a really important psalm. So this morning is just to give an overview. Um, the Psalms are a collection uh, and I've got to put the, the really cool, Lisa always helps design awesome graphics. Isn't that cool? Summer in the Psalms? Yeah, that's very cool. Lisa, did you hear that? We got a shout out for that. The Psalms are um, a collection of 150 poems, songs, and prayers. The word psalm comes from the Greek word psalmos, which was the title in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. A psalmos was a song that was sung to the accompaniment of music. Um, the Hebrew word is Tehillim, we're going to come back to this in a minute. Can you say Tehillim with me? Tehillim. Tehillim means praises, so that's the Hebrew word. And again, we are going to come back to that. Um, Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart say of the Psalms, most of the rest of the Bible are words, from, are, are words from God that are spoken to people, but the book of Psalms are words from people that are spoken either to God or about God. So it's really a unique book. 30, all but 34 of the Psalms, if you'll notice, frequently have a, a superscription at the top that explains a little bit about who wrote it or the context, all but 34. Um, those 34 orphan Psalms are in the last part of the Psalms. Psalms has more authors than any other book of the Bible, multiple authors. David wrote 73 of them, Asaph 12, the sons of Korah 11, Solomon wrote two, Moses wrote a Psalm, which is pretty cool. Um, Haman wrote a Psalm. Not He-Man, but Haman. Anybody grow up? I didn't. It was like my kids were pretty little when He-Man was going on. Any He-Man people here? No, not really. So that's why the sprinkling of laughter. Okay. And then uh, Ethan, the Ezra Height. And then about a third of them, 49 of them are totally anonymous. We don't know who wrote them. They were composed over a really long period of history. The first psalm written by Moses about 1500 B.C., the last psalm about 500 B.C. after the return from Babylon. So over about a thousand years, these prayers were written down and recorded. Um, the psalms as we have them now were, were put together and compiled probably after the return from Babylon, after all those had been put together. 
The Psalms are divided into five books, which is fascinating. You will actually find the headings in your Bible of those books. Um, And it's just like the five books of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The Torah being the first five books of the Bible and containing the law, um, which is very important to the Jews. So it's almost like a second Torah in some ways. Um, That book one is Psalms 3 to 41, mainly written by David perhaps all of them. Book two, Psalms 42 to 72, written by David and the sons of Korah. Book three, mainly written by Asaph or his sons, we're not totally sure. Book four are mainly anonymous, Psalm 90 to 106, and then book five from 107 to 145, again, are mainly written by David. And what's interesting is almost central to, in book one and book two is a psalm of the Torah, Psalm 19 and Psalm 119, which some of you are going to start reading tomorrow. And those psalms are, are very significant. The first two psalms are actually the introduction to the book of the psalms. Um, And then the last five are the conclusion to the book of psalms. Psalm 1 begins with the word blessed. Psalm 2 ends with the word blessed, and which is common in Jewish literature. It's called a bookend, and it's their way of like putting bookends on something really significant. So Psalm 1 says that the people who are blessed are basically those who delight in the law of the Lord, the Torah, and who meditate on it. So people who follow and are faithful to the Torah are blessed. And Psalm 2 is about the future coming Messiah, and that the people who are blessed are those who are faithful and follow Him. And so the introduction is all about faithfulness to the Torah, faithfulness to the coming Messiah. And then when you get to, and these two chapters, by the way, are really important because they set up a couple of crucial themes as you get in the Psalms. And one of those themes is, is you see in Psalm 1 the introduction of two kinds of people, either people who believe and follow Yahweh, God, or those who do not believe and do not follow him. And in chapter 2, you see the conflict between Messiah and people who don't follow him and how one day he will conquer them and everybody will be put under his footstool. So this theme of these two kinds of people, and it goes all through the Psalms, you'll see David frequently talking about the enemies of God who are attacking him. And so... This theme of the the believers and unbelievers runs all through the Psalms. The last five Psalms are Psalms, they're called the five Hallelujah Psalms. Hallelujah meaning praise the Lord. And so the book ends on this topic of praise to God. And so if you take that introduction, the conclusion are really important because if you take them all together, here's what we learn. That the Psalms were the prayer book of God's people. They still are. I'm going to rephrase in a minute. But they were the prayer book of God's people as they strove, they were striving to be obedient to the Torah, to seek lives of ongoing praise to God and living in anticipation of the coming Messiah. So they were to help guide them, be the songbook, as they obeyed the Torah, praised the Lord, and looked forward to the coming Messiah. And they're the church's prayer book. And for us, they do the same thing. They help us as we strive to live our lives according to the Word of God, as we live lives of ongoing praise to the Father, and as we live lives of surrender and faithfulness to the Messiah who has come, and we wait for His second coming to make all things right. So that's, that's what they are all together. Two categories, two main categories of song, psalms. There's psalms of lament, and there's psalms of praise. Interestingly, The psalms of lament make up about two-thirds, so the majority of the psalms are psalms of lament. A lament is a cry of pain. Um, And laments express with complete honesty honesty, the distress and the pain that people are feeling and going through in their life. They express pain, confusion, struggle, anger at the evil we experience in the world, and rightly so. We should be angry. We should be confused and pain at the evil in the world. 
Turn to Psalm 13. If you're in the Psalms, go back to Psalm 13. I want to read a psalm of lament. So Psalm 13 is for the director of music. Again, it is a song. Um, It is a prayer put to music, a psalm of David. And here's his cry. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Day after day have sorrows in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Ever cried out to the Lord that way? Look at verse 3. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. So that's a psalm of lament. And I want to tell you, if you're going through a difficult time, the songs of lament speak such powerful words. I think give voice to a lot of what like I feel when I'm going through difficulty. Um, Kieran... Our son, maybe three or four months ago, said that there was somebody in his work that had something tragic happen, was really struggling. He says, I want to, he, he like doesn't really follow God and I want to kind of move him that way. And he said, is, is there a psalm or two I could point him to? And gosh, one time as I was going through the Psalms, anytime I was doing laments, if the words really spoke to me in a time of, of darkness or whatever, I would like cut and paste those and I'd have them saved in an app on my phone. And I ended up just texting him a bunch of those and he gave them to his friend and his friend found them so helpful to give voice to what he was feeling and to help turn him, put him, point him in the direction to God. Um, So these psalms always end in a note of hope as you saw in that one except for one psalm. And these psalms, almost all of them occur in those first three books. Book one, two, and three is where most of the laments are. Um, I feel like it's appropriate to pray a prayer of lament today in light of Uvalde? I mean, if you're, if you're a parent or a grandparent, doesn't that just strike? It strikes at anybody's heart what happened, but if you know any children, I was asking Pat, who here at 12th is the age of those children that were killed? I'm not going to say the names, but just personalizing that, I'm like, can you imagine what that would be like? So would you, I want you to join me in prayer in response to that. I want to start with Jeremiah 31, 15 before I get into the prayer. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted for her children because they are no more. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh Lord, hear our prayer of lament. Oh God, our God, as we think of the events of this past week, we are at a loss for words. How do we even begin to fathom this tragedy? So we turn to you, O Lord, and we plead our lament, because to whom else can we go? We join our voices with the voices of your people over the millennia, over thousands of years, crying out, how long, O Lord? How long must we live in this world of violence? How long must parents bury children? So we pray for the parents, the grandparents, siblings, friends, teachers and administrators, first responders, that whole community of Uvalde and all who live there. O God of compassion, you who bear burdens and pain, who are near to the brokenhearted and to those who are crushed in spirit, may your comfort abound to them. 
May it overwhelm and wash over them. We know they will carry their grief for all their days. We do not ask you to take it away, but to walk with them in it and through it day by day. May your abiding presence wrap them with your love. May they have an abiding awareness that your love has not abandoned them. Lord, some among us, among us have lost children, and it's the deepest of wounds. And we know, God, that you yourself know this wound. So we plead your presence with all those in Uvalde. Oh God, we trust in the visions that you have given us of a kingdom that will one day fully come, a kingdom where violence will be no more, an eternal kingdom where weapons will be flattened into plows to produce food for feasting. We yearn for that day to come. It cannot come soon enough, oh Lord. So come, Lord Jesus, come. Oh Lord, hear our prayer. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for doing that with me. So psalms of lament. And then there's psalms of praise. And these psalms express joy, celebration, thanksgiving, and praise to the God. They focus on God, they focus on His greatness, and they focus on His goodness and the good things He's created. They praise Him for who He is. They thank Him for what He's done. Most of them occur in actually books 4 and 5. Turn to Psalm 150. I want to read a psalm of praise. Psalm 150. Psalm 150 says this, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his acts of power, praise him for his surpassing greatness, praise him with the sounding of the trumpet, praise him with the harp and lyre, praise him with timbrel and dancing, praise him with the strings and pipe, praise him with the clash of cymbals, praise him with resounding cymbals, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And God's people said, amen. So let me share something really cool with you here. The first psalm of book one, Psalm 3, is a lament. The last psalm of book five, Psalm 145, is a praise. So the core of the psalms begin with a lament and end with a praise. And this is really intentional. Because the book of psalms in the Hebrew language in which it, really, in which it was originally written, if you remember, is Telahim which means, do you remember, Telahim means what? Praises, plural. The, whole, the title of the whole book is praises. And that means that every single psalm is a praise to God. And there's a very profound truth here. And I need, there's an insight I gained from a man named Andrew Sheed. I need to give him credit for this idea that I found really perform, profound. How can all the psalms be praises if most of them are laments, actually? How do you call that a praise? Does that not seem strange to you? I mean, to me it does. But, you know, from a Hebrew perspective, this is not strange. Um, the problem was not with Hebrews calling both laments and praises all praise. I think the problem is with us because we don't see lament as praise. That's where the problem lies with us. So in their totality, the Psalms represent my life path and the journey of life that we all follow, right? And that's what that ark represents there. And if our life is lived well and prayed well, then that whole life is a path of praise. And every psalm falls somewhere on this curve. So in the psalms of lament, I'm on the downslope of praise, right? I find myself in, in despair, a pit of despair. 
But what's interesting is, as we read in Psalm 13, they are, still, they are still praised because they always turn inevitably to hope towards God, either looking backward at His faithfulness or looking future in, in the, to the future in hope for Him. But they're always trusting in the goodness and greatness of God at the end of them. So even on the downward slide of things, they're still ultimately turning their attention to God and trusting Him in praise. And then the Psalms of praise, they're just the upward slope of our journey in life towards Jesus. Um, it's where he's giving thanks to God and glorifying him. And frequently in those psalms, he's looking back at the downward slope that he just came out of, and he's giving thanks to God for, for rescuing him and dreaming out of that. So the psalms teach us to offer all of our life for, to God, either if we're in the downward slope or if we're in the upward slope, that all of that is praise. Lament is praise. Thanksgiving is praise, that it's all praise. Isn't that cool? That was like a new thought for me. I had never thought of that before. Okay, a few more. To me, that's the, one of the most important things that I learn about this. A few more things related to the Psalms. Besides the two main categories, lament and praise, there's a lot of types of Psalms, and we're not going to go over all of these. I mean, there's Psalms of, of thanksgiving, there's royal Psalms, messianic, all kinds of Psalms. There's what's called a pilgrim song, which I will preach one of those in two weeks. At the end of that list is imprecatory Psalms, and if you don't know what that means, I didn't either for a long time. I'm going to preach one of those in early July. It's a psalm that most people have problems with, find the most negative, and like, why is that in there? So I want to talk about that. And as you read the psalms, you're going to find that these types, they're just all jumbled together and they're all mixed up, that the book of Psalms seems so random. You'll have a negative one followed by a positive, followed by two negative, and then a Thanksgiving, and then a Messianic, and the, the order just seems like it wasn't ordered very well. Um, if I were God, I would have organized the Psalms a whole lot better. I would have had all the laments here and the Thanksgiving Psalms in this section. I would have had the, the praises here and the Thanksgiving Psalms here and the Messianic Psalms. I would have like put them into sections so it's really clear like what you're reading. Um, but that's not what he did. And God is wiser than I am, right? I think he had reason for that. The reason the Psalms are so messy is because life is messy. Is that not true? You have a great day and then you wake up the next day and then some things happen, Right? And you're thrown for a loop. And I think the Psalms just reflect life really well. Um, and that's why believers throughout history frequently have turned to the Psalms. Because it so much reflects life. J. Clinton McCann, this is kind of me summarizing my overview of the Psalms, says the Psalms are instruction for prayer, praise, and the life of faith. And in the Psalms we see how godly, speak, godly people spoke to a holy God in all of their life circumstances. And Jen said it, the main theme of the Psalms, the overriding theme as you read them, is that God is sovereign. He is the creator and the great king of the universe, that he is great and that he is good. And the Psalms talk a lot about his righteousness and his justice. And that he's also the deliverer and the savior. And he can come in deliverance now, but one day he will come finally as that full deliverer. And he will make everything right again. And he will bring his justice and righteousness on the earth. And again, come Lord Jesus for that. All right. Let me turn the corner. I want to talk briefly about how to read the Psalms, how to engage them. Um, I said earlier that they're, they're forms of, they're Hebrew poetry, and many of them are musical. And there's a reason here. Any English teachers, I mean, Jack, you're in English. I'm just curious. People here love poetry. Who, who in here, like, really loves poetry? Anybody willing to admit it? We've got a couple. Okay. That's okay. Poetry's great, because God put it in there, so I'm assuming. I mean, I like poetry, some of it. Um, <laughs> But poetry, 
can say things with this exalted language, and it can say things in a way that's a lot more memorable, right? Poems and songs, a lot more memorable. And not only that, but they strike at your heart. They're full of imagery and things that that kind of get to the heart. And this is what's really important is, is how poetry and music songs are so different than prose is that they come into your life like through indirection. Prose just hits you smack in the face. It's trying to convince you of something. But psalms and poet songs and poems come in the back door and with the, their use of imagery, what they're trying to do is they're trying to get you at the point of your loves and your affections, right? They're getting you at the heart in the gut. And this is why this is really so important. Um, when we talked about idolatry, I talked about the idea that the sin beneath all of the sins is what I love, something I love more than God. I should love God the most, right? And that really the essence of the Christian life and the struggles with my sin is the fact that I'm loving something more than God. And the, that the sin is ultimately, it's, about, it's all about loves. And we can learn the Bible and put in a lot of information, but if all you do is you're just working on the thinking and your information and the cognitive, that doesn't change a person. What changes a person is your loves and affections, that if, 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 if it can get down to the level of what you really love, if you really love the Lord, then you're going to follow him well. Does that make sense? And that's why the Psalms are so important, because they're getting at that affection level. Um, Ashley Newell paraphrased Thomas Cranmer, an old saint who said this, what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. I mean, don't you find that to be true? Yeah. That what you love, that your will will choose that thing? And your heart will justify that. And that's why the Psalms are so important. And so to stir our imagination affections, the Psalms use a lot of poetic devices. Don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but use a lot of imagery. A path, a tree, a river, a shield, arrows, um, a mother hen. There's just so many imagery in it. And it uses a lot of comparisons, you know, things like, forgive me for this English lesson, similes, which use like or as, right? Um, Psalm 18.33, he makes my feet like the feet of deer. So that, that simile or metaphors, the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23.1. Uses a lot of personification. This is probably the appropriate time to sleep a little bit if you're not into all this stuff. A lot of personification. I mean, the heavens are not humans. They're not people who do things, but things that are inanimate are personified a lot. So the heavens declare the glory of God. And there's a lot of hyperbole. This is really important. I'm going to come back to how we interpret the Psalms. But there's a lot of hyperbole, which is something's exaggerated to make a point. So you don't take the exaggeration literally, right? Here's an example in Psalm 18, 6 and 7. This is something that David prayed while he was being pursued by Saul. And here's what he said in verses 6 and 7. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. And here's what I want you to know. That didn't happen. The mountains didn't quake. But what they were pointing to did happen. God did. He was angry, and he did act, and he came to David's aid. So do you see how he uses hyperbole or exaggeration to make a point? So you've got to be careful with that. One more thing about poems, especially in the Psalms that are important, is this thing called parallelism. That frequently you'll find that, that there will be like two lines, two lines, two lines, and they all match. If you're still in Psalm 150, if you're still there, um, verse 5 says, praise him with the clash of symbols, praise him with resounding, resounding symbols. He says the same thing twice. That's parallelism, okay? So things, 
happen twice. This is really common, and I think it's helpful to understand that. There's three kinds of parallelism. There's what's called synonymous, where the meaning of the first is essentially repeated in the second line. So in Psalm 44, 2, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. So it just says essentially the same thing, different words. There's also antithetical parallelism, where the second line is actually contrasted with the first. So Psalm 1, 6, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So you see those two things are parallel. And the most important is synthetic, where the meaning of the second line expands upon that first line, it explains it, it elaborates on it, it enhances it or intensifies it. Um, this happens a lot in the Psalms, and it's actually important uh, to notice this. Psalm 112.7, they have no fear of bad news. That's the first line. The second line explains that much further. It goes to the positive. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. So you see how that works? All right. The Psalms are meant to be the prayer book of the church, and they're there because we learn best by example, and it's God's way of showing us how to approach Him in prayer. And there's two benefits to prayer. The first is they teach us to worship and to pray, that if you will be regularly in the Psalms, they will give you patterns of prayer, and they'll give you vocabulary of prayer. They'll help you learn how to give voice to God, and they'll enhance your own prayer life with Him. I think a good example is Jonah. I've used this before. In chapter 2 of the book of Jonah, in his prayer, 10 times he quotes a psalm. He was so in the psalms that the language of the psalms got into his own prayer life. So they're there to teach us how to worship and pray. But maybe more importantly, they're to teach us to relate honestly to God, to relate honestly to Him. They show our need to give full expression to all of our lives to Him, everything the good and the bad, the anger the joy, the confusion, the excitement. God doesn't want to hear what I'm supposed to say to him. He wants to hear what I really need to say to him. Does that make sense? He wants all of it. And that's what the Psalms teach us, is that we need to bring with honesty everything before him. Okay, let me wrap up with two final things. I know this sermon's really weird, different. Sorry, weird is not a good word. Uh, maybe you're lamenting that. This is really weird, but... Because I'm trying to give you an overview of the Psalms as we enter into it this summer, that you understand anytime you read them, kind of how to engage them. A couple of cautions regarding the Psalms, if you don't mind. Three cautions. The Psalms can be misunderstood and misused. And people have done that. So number one, take the figurative language as is intended. It's figurative, okay? Uh, I don't have feet like a, like, a, like a deer or a mountain goat, all right? That's not real. So you just imagine, if you've been to Colorado and you've seen those goats on sheer cliffs, and you're like, that's what that talks about, is God is wanting me to give you the ability to, like, to walk on things that seem impossible. So don't take the figurative literally. Um, the Psalms are rich in theology, but don't read them as if they're intended to be a book of doctrine. That's not the intent. They contain doctrine, but they're not meant to be a repository of doctrine. And when I was talking about cults, I said this back in January, I think, or December, that one of the key principles of hermeneutics is I don't build a doctrine solely on a text in poetic literature in the Old Testament. The, the Jehovah's Witness build, their whole, build most of their doctrine on the fact that when a person dies, their soul doesn't go to heaven based upon Ecclesiastes and the Psalms, which are poetic. And you don't build a doctrine on poetry, okay? If you find that doctrine in Paul somewhere and, and then the Psalms emphasize it, that's great, but I don't build a doctrine. 
just out of the Psalms alone. And then finally, the Psalms don't guarantee a perfect, pleasant life. There are times when you're reading it, and it sounds like it's promising everything's going to go great if you follow Jesus and follow God, right? David's Psalms say that a lot. But how many of you know David's life? Did David have a perfectly pleasant, wonderful life? No, his life was full of tragedy, it was full of despair, it was full of pain and disappointment. And so when you read those things, it's not a promise, a guarantee that that's what life's going to be like, okay? But it's a trust in God that, that ultimately he will take care of me. And then finally, a few suggestions on reading the Psalms. One, read them regularly. Make them a part of your regular spiritual diet. The, um, some of the great saints of old try to read a Psalm every day. I got out of the habit when we went to the New Testament, so the New Testament was great. I kind of left the Psalms behind, so this year I came back to them, trying to get them back into my spiritual diet, and they're, they're so powerful. Two, just use your imagination. So when you see things like that my feet are become like the feet of deer or mountain goats, don't just like read over that casually, but think, what is God trying to communicate? So you want to think about what's, what's the point of that? What's the picture he's trying to present? And then ponder the Psalms. That's the third thing. Don't just skim over them. I was just talking to a dear friend this week. It is so easy, you know, oh, my psalm today is 148, you know, oh, okay, I'm done. You know, or you're reading it and you'll get halfway through and you're like, I'm not engaging with this and you've got to go back and do it again. Have anybody, anybody else had that problem in reading the Bible? Okay, so make sure you engage with them. Say, I'm going to focus on this because they're intended to be meditated upon, the imagery thought about. Um, the intent is that they do come in and they stir your affections for God and do we not all need to love God more? The Psalms are the great place to develop that. So, so come into them looking for his beauty and trying to be stirred by them to learn to trust him more. And something that's helpful is to pray them. They are meant to be invitations to prayer. And they're actually meant to be prayed. Some of them are hard. But take them and turn them and make them personal. David may be talking about things happening in his life, but just change the wording a little bit and pray it personal. Even if you're not going through that, pray it. Because someday you will go through that, and it helps prepare you for it. And a lot of people have suggested, and I try to do this, um, is not just pray them, but pray them out loud. It's really helpful. Five, I encourage you, get to know your Old Testament history, because there's a lot of allusions to the Old Testament in here. So if you don't know the Old Testament well, some of you are going to be in, starting in Genesis soon and going through some of the key historical things. So get to know the Old Testament and then pay attention to the superscripts, the things at the top. Sometimes they give you key historical information. Psalm 57 starts this way, to the tune, do not destroy, Psalm of David, when he fled from Saul into the cave. And when you read that psalm and you know he was in the cave fearing for his life, it gives you context for it. So... We want to end in worship. Before we do, I'd like you to stand. I want to read Psalm 63. And if you have your Bible, turn there. Psalm 63. And then we're going to end with a couple of songs of worship. Psalm 63. People who love God, it's one of their favorites. And hear David's passion. I so long to experience this. Because I'm not there. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and I've beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life. 
Your love is better than life, and my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help and I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword, become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. And this is the word of the Lord. So would you join us in, in worship? Isn't it beautiful how God gave us this book of praises to give us words for our times of lament and our times of joy? And so today, wherever you are um, on that, I'm losing the word, uh, line, anyway, um, let's just praise him today. Kingdom 
our eyes are on you. It is well with us. And we just thank you for the words that you give us to pour out our hearts to you. And we just pray that we would take them with you, with us this week as we go. Amen. Amen. That's what a life of praise to God looks like. If you are a Bible nerd kind of person, these sheets are on the back. If you want to take one and put in your Bible that has the, what the Psalms are about, a lot of what I talked about, you can have one of those. So for all of us, some of us in the midst of lament right now, some of us living a life of praise, to all of us, uh, may God, the great and sovereign King, the one who is good and great, who is righteous and just, the one who is our deliverer and savior, may he give you his grace, his strength, his comfort for whatever you need. That's what we ask in the name of Jesus, amen. So 12th, you're dismissed.